How are you? Well, I'm Michael Flake, uh, the other pastor at Lake Forest Davidson. So good to be together as a church family this morning on this Easter Sunday. If uh, you this is your first time with us or one of your first times with us, we'll be back next Sunday uh, just at 9.30 and 11. So you can either wake up 15 minutes early, earlier or an hour and 45 minutes earlier. I think I know which one I would pick of those two options, uh, but we would love to have you 9.30 or 11 next Sunday. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place for you to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. And the round uh, forces us to ask the question, what is it that's at the center of my life? What is the person, the goal, the thing, the idea that everything else in my life revolves around? Jesus Christ says he wants to be in the center of our lives. And if we ever invite him there, that we'll experience real life, both abundant life on earth and everlasting life after earth. All that to say, happy Easter. Easter is the day on which Christians formally celebrate. Hopefully it's something we might celebrate all the time, but it's the day on which we formally celebrate that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That Jesus came and lived on earth. He died an unjust death. He withstood God's anger for the ways that you and I have rebelled against God, and he was laid in a tomb. And then on the third day, as the hinge point of all history, he walked out of that tomb. He was raised from the dead. And so the resurrection of Jesus changed the world. It transformed the world. And the resurrection of Jesus can change your world, can transform your world. And that's really all I wanted to say this morning. That's sort of the end of my message. So thank you so much for being here. April Fool's. <laughs> it is also April Fool's Day, as you will remember, or maybe have forgotten, but since uh, when was the last time this happened, H.C.? Well, Easter, yes, a year ago. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I believe it was 1956 was the last time April Fool's and Easter were on the same day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a little-known trivia. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, so... I had thought about, because it's Easter Fool, uh, try again, <laughs> April Fool's and Easter on the same day, I thought about calling this sermon, Ha Ha, Jokes on You, Death. But I wasn't sure if anyone would laugh at that, so I decided to not, not go for that. The question with which we begin the message this morning is this, have you ever let someone else down? The answer is sure, we all have. Letting people down is one of our most reliable character traits. And one of the important things that we learn is that restoring a relationship can be hard. Restoring trust can be hard. It's not impossible, but there are some things that we need to address. The bigger question that guides the sermon this morning is, have you ever let God down? Have you ever let God down? And the answer again is sure, we all have. Now, again, restoration is not impossible, but it can be hard. And so here's the good news this morning. The resurrected Jesus can restore our damaged relationship with God. The resurrected Jesus can restore our damaged relationship with God. And so to see that, what I want to do is look today at how this played out in real life, in the life of a guy named Peter, one of Jesus' first disciples. 
Peter was one of Jesus' first disciples, and we want to look at how the resurrection of Jesus gave Peter yet another second chance. So by trade, Peter was a fisherman. His real name was Simon. And one day, Simon heard a man named Jesus preach. Jesus said that he was not simply a man, that he was also God. He was bringing God's kingdom to earth. Peter said, or Simon at the time said, I want to be a part of that. So Simon decided to follow Jesus. Simon committed his life into Jesus' hands. And Luke chapter 5 tells us more about how this went down. Luke chapter 5 says, when he had finished speaking, in other words, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. So between the things Jesus was saying and this miraculous catch of fish, Simon is convinced. He's convinced that Jesus is not simply a man. He's convinced that God has come to earth. In fact, God has walked into his life. He is convinced that this God-man Jesus is bringing heaven to earth. So Simon left behind his broken nets so that he could follow Jesus. He put Jesus at the center of his life. Jesus started to call Simon by the name Peter, which means the rock. Uh, Peter from the Greek Petros, which meant rock, the rock. So Jesus is saying he wouldn't always be walking on the earth. Jesus was going to empower a community of people to keep doing his work even after he left. And he needed Peter, Petros, to be the rock of that community. Not bad for a fisherman. Simon walked a little taller, a little prouder now that he was Peter, Petros, the rock. And then Jesus started talking about how he had to die. That he, Jesus, was going to be the final sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. That through him, all people could find forgiveness for their sins, could find forgiveness for their shortcomings, could find forgiveness for their rebellion. So that in Jesus' name, all people could walk into the open arms of God, their creator. As that day drew closer, his first disciples got more nervous. And then one night at a religious festival during dinner, Jesus told his disciples the time had come. It was time for him to offer himself as the final sacrifice. And Peter said, well, Jesus, I will stand by you. I'm the rock. I will never leave your side. But Jesus turned to him and a concerned, troubled look came over his deep and compassionate eyes as he said, well, in fact, Peter, before the new day dawns, before the rooster crows, you will disown me. Peter began to shake his head. I will not do that. I will not do that. Jesus continued, three times, you will disown me. And then Jesus was arrested. Roman soldiers came and arrested him because one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, had betrayed him. So Peter went to a courtyard to wait and hear word of what was happening to Jesus or how Peter could help Jesus. Darkness was closing in. 
And we learn that Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is a deeply relatable moment. It's a moment when Peter realizes that for all of his tough talk, he has let Jesus down. He let God down. When the going got tough, Peter looked out for himself and walked away from God. This God that had come to earth in pursuit of Peter. This God that told him he would be the rock, and then the rock crumbled under the pressure. He looked at his life, and he wept bitterly. He looked at his broken relationship with Jesus. He wept Bitterly, he had given years of his life to this whole Jesus thing, and it was a bust. So he couldn't stay. He went and he hid. He heard through the grapevine that Jesus had been killed on a cross. Jesus' mother Mary was one of the few people who stuck with Jesus to the bitter end. So where do we go from here? What do we do when we let God down? What do we do when we crumble under the pressure and we feel how broken our relationship with God is? Peter went back to what he knew best. He went back to fishing. We learn in John chapter 21 that Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now at this point, you might reasonably be asking, were the disciples actually good fishermen? Because it does not seem like they ever catch anything. Now I can relate to this. I uh, grew up, my, my grandparents took my brother and I fishing probably a dozen times. And during those dozen times, we caught four fish, a snake, and part of a shoe. That's what we had to show for our good efforts. And in fact, the largest fish we ever caught, it was actually a pretty decent little sized fish, and we were from uh, North Mississippi, and so we uh, put it in a bucket because we were going to take it home and eat it. And so we put the fish in the bucket. We realized we needed a little more water in the bucket, so we go over to the river to put a little more water in the bucket. Now the fish realizes what's going on, sees his last shot, so when we tipped the bucket just a little bit, that fish jumped back into the river and was gone. So really, we caught three fish, a snake, and part of a shoe. So unlike myself and my brother, who caught the fish and then had this terrible look on his face as the fish escaped, unlike us, the disciples likely were pretty good fishermen. It's how they made their living. But again, on this night... They're not catching anything. 
And Peter had wanted to go fishing in part to kind of get his groove back, to kind of have a little sense of normalcy in what had been a very devastating couple of weeks. And yet the night goes on and on and on, and they're not catching anything. You can almost feel his frustration rising. Like, I did this to get my mind off of what was going on, and even this is not going right. And then the sun rose, and a new day dawned. And there was a man standing out on the shore, and he offered them some fishing advice. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, if you're Peter, doesn't this sound familiar? Like, if you're Peter, haven't you been through this before? Like, somebody gives you some fishing advice, and then there's all these fish, and you're pulling the nets in, and you're looking at your friends, and you're like, this has never happened before. Actually, this did happen. It happened the one time with Jesus. And then I just imagine Peter turning back to the person on the shore and starting to squint to try to see the face of this man who gave the fishing advice. Is that who I think it is? Now, have you ever learned this about God? How God seems to reassure us in ways that only make sense to us? That God will reassure you in a way that only makes sense to you? I mean, you would think with all the people on earth that God would just decide to reveal himself to people in big, bold, and powerful ways, to try to get a lot of people with, with sort of one action. But God is also personal. God is relational. And so God often finds little, subtle ways to remind you that he loves you. Little, subtle ways to remind you that he's looking out for you. And sometimes when you explain what these things are to other people, they look at you like, I'm glad that was meaningful for you, but I have no idea what was meaningful about it. That doesn't necessarily mean you're crazy. It might mean that God is personal, that God is relational, and that God sometimes communicates his love and his careful, watchful care to you in a way that only makes sense to you. For instance, I had a friend of mine who is a tenured professor One night she had this dream, and in the dream, uh, there was this thing that she saw, and the thing represented a source of great shame in her life. And then she looked back at the thing in the dream and saw who she understood to be Jesus standing there motioning her to come. Now, she's not a religious person, was not a religious person at all, so when she woke up in the morning, she went to class, and after class, tried to highlight the student that she believed was the most spiritual. And she approached the student after class and said, do you know anything about dream interpretation? To which he said, no, I do not. But you cannot just ask someone that question. So the student asked, what was the dream? And she kind of described it to him. He said, well, again, I don't know anything about dream interpretation, but it sounds to me that Jesus is inviting you to follow him in spite of your shame. 
And that's what she did. Now, it took a few weeks to play out, but that was really the turning point for her. Someone, uh, not a religious person at all, a very professionally accomplished person who actually went on to become one of the leading scholars of Mother Teresa uh, because her research interests changed in her 50s when she converted to Christianity in a little chapel in the mountains. I just say that to say that sometimes God communicates to us in ways that are really personal to us. And we see the resurrected Jesus doing the exact same thing here to the disciples and Peter specifically in this moment when he offers them some fishing advice. The very same thing he had done that first turned Peter's life in God's direction. So Jesus is doing this very personal thing to say, I'm still looking out for you. I still love you. And in fact, my love is stronger than death. And so we learn that the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. Apparently, the disciples were not fishing in their Sunday best here. I don't know why John included this detail. Hopefully, it did not scandalize our younger listeners. But Peter puts back on his outer garment and jumps into the water. As soon as the disciples realize that it's Jesus on the shore, it's Jesus, it's him. He's not dead, he's risen. He's risen indeed. He's calling to us from the shore. He's alive, he's here. It's Jesus. The disciples are getting excited. Peter has already jumped into the water and is swimming to the shore. He has to get back to Jesus. He has to get back to the God he let down. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with a fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So the disciples get to shore, Jesus greets them with breakfast. In other words, Jesus is inviting them into a space where he can do some hard work. Jesus is not about to go for the quick fix. Jesus wants to go for restoration. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lamb. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So you see what Jesus did there? After breakfast, Jesus and Peter go for a walk, and Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, of course, of course I love you. Again, maybe without much hesitation, or maybe they just walked in silence for a while, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, of course I love you. A third time, Jesus asked, Peter, do you love me? You see what he did there? He asked him three times, mirroring the three times Peter had denied Jesus. 
And the Scripture says that when Jesus asked him the third time, Peter was hurt. It hurt Peter. Because you imagine the first time Jesus says, do you love me? He goes, you know that I love you. And now Peter's thinking, whew, it's all patched up. It's all good. Then Jesus asks a second time, do you love me? And Peter's thinking, hmm, maybe the whole rising from the dead thing has affected Jesus' hearing. I should probably answer the second time. But when he asks the third time, Peter's mind leaves that sunny shore and he remembers sitting in a dark courtyard on the most shameful night of his life and it hurt. It stung him deeply because restoring a relationship can be hard. It's not impossible, but it can be painful. And in this moment, Jesus will not let Peter hide from his failure. Jesus will not let Peter's failure become the elephant in the room. Jesus forced Peter to confront the failure, to see his need for forgiveness. But this is the most important part, to actually receive that forgiveness. To receive that forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So Jesus and Peter stand together and stare down the darkness deep in Peter's soul so that it could be forgiven. So that the darkness could be forgiven, so that it could be replaced with light. So that Peter's relationship with God would not be characterized by Peter's failures, but so that Peter's relationship with God would be defined by Jesus' victory. The point being, Jesus loves to reconcile, restore, and redeem. Not even death was able to thwart this mission. Jesus loves to reconcile, to restore, to redeem, and not even death was able to thwart this mission. That Jesus walked out of the grave so that he could reconcile Peter back to God and could redeem and restore his failures. Jesus walked out of the grave so that he can reconcile you to God, so that he can restore and redeem the ways that you have failed, the ways that I have failed. Now, sometimes that process can be painful because it often requires that we stand with Jesus and stare down the darkness deep in our souls. It can require that we face our failures. It can require we face the ways that we have let God down. But again, the, the reason Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me, was not so Peter would leave that beach feeling terrible about himself and all the ways that he had failed. Like, that's a pretty crummy reason to resurrect, to just go make people feel crummy about themselves. Jesus did it. So that Peter could not simply acknowledge his need for forgiveness, but find forgiveness in Jesus. So that in Jesus, Peter and you and I can find God's forgiveness replacing our shame. In Jesus, we can find God's grace flooding over our guilt. In Jesus, we can find God's mercy overtaking our misery. In Jesus, we can find God's truth reframing our trials. In Jesus, we can ultimately find God's love welcoming us home as his sons and his daughters. Jesus walked out of the grave so that he could reconcile you to God and restore and redeem the things in your life that have not gone so well. Sometimes of your own fault, maybe sometimes of no fault of your own, to restore and redeem those dark courtyard moments. 
Easter reminds us of this truth in Romans chapter 8. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, at some point in that whole walking on the beach thing, I imagine Peter had to have this thought. They're walking and Jesus is saying, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? It hurt him. Yes, I love you. But he stared it down with Jesus. It didn't define him. The failure did not define him. He had the courage to face it because Jesus was beside him all the way. And then he was able to get through it, to work through it. And he found new life on the other side of it. And so at some point, I imagine Peter just looks at this situation and goes, wait a minute. I failed and you died and yet here we are. That's the resurrection. You might be able to say a similar thing today. Wait a minute. I failed and you died, Jesus, and yet here we are. What can separate me from the love of Christ? Don't you see Peter thinking that? I failed and you died, and yet here we are. What can separate me from the love of Christ? What can separate you from the love of Christ? No matter how far you've fallen or no matter how dead your spiritual life is, Jesus calls out to you from the shore. And if you can get close enough to it, I imagine you'll hear him asking that same question he asked Peter, do you love me? Now, as Peter points out, he already knows all things. He already knows what's going on in your heart. He knows the things you don't necessarily want to be honest or upfront about. And he also knows that sometimes, though your actions don't show it, you are living out of a love for God. He knows all things, but there's power in answering the question, do you love me? So here's my question for you as I wrap up. For your reflection, what do you believe can separate you from the love of God that is available to us through Jesus? What do you believe can separate you from the love of God that is available to us through Jesus? Have you failed too badly? Have you fallen too far? Are you too learned for all the God stuff? Is this something you'll deal with in your future? Not really now. This is a future thing for me. I would just say, death took its best shot, and even death failed. The point of that being, you don't have to wander through life with a sense of shame, or you don't have to wander through life with a sense of how you failed God. You can leave all that behind so that you can come and be reconciled to your Creator. So that you can walk through life knowing that you are God's beloved son or God's beloved daughter in whom he is well pleased. That he has redeemed you. That he is restoring your life. And he is doing these things in the name of the resurrected Jesus. The 
question was, do you love me? And for Peter, it was a turning point. As he realized that his failures did not have to define him or keep him from God. His own crumbling under pressure did not have to define him or keep him from God. What can separate him from the love of Christ? What can separate you from the love of Christ? Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance on this Easter Sunday to pray, to talk with God. I don't know where you are in your life today. I don't know how long it's been since you prayed. But wherever you are in all that, in the quiet of this moment, just talk to God. Lord, Easter is our reminder, Easter is our celebration that our failures are not the most powerful thing, that our past or our future is not the most powerful thing, that maybe even those we uh, idolize or idolize to a fault, they're not the most powerful thing. The most powerful thing is the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, Lord, if there are things that keep us from you or if there are things in our lives we want to keep hidden in the shadows, I pray that we would allow that amazing and powerful thing, I pray that we would allow you to stand with us as we replace that darkness with light, as we see our need for forgiveness, but then find that forgiveness in you. The question you asked Peter was a life-turning moment for him when he asked, you ask, do you love me? I pray our answer to that question will be a life-turning moment for us as well. And maybe even if for the first time or we desire to say, yes, I do love you. I don't know all of what that's going to mean, but I do love you. I pray that you would help us one day at a time to follow in your ways. Pray you give us trusted friends to help us follow you closely. We pray all these things in the name of the resurrected Jesus. Amen. Amen.